0: Drew Dixon back for another Bible thump with you. Hopefully it won't hurt too much. Uh, (laughs) The goal of these is really not to smack you with the Bible, but to open the Bible and encourage you, hopefully. Um, I don't think the Bible is near as scary or painful as sometimes we think. Uh, I think actually it's really beautiful and life-giving, but honestly you don't have to agree with me on that point. Um, But that's what we're going to do here. So uh, I hope that it encourages you. So I want to start by reviewing a little bit of what I talked about last week. Uh, we started a series that I want to do on identity. And uh, we said that identity is uh, refers to the beliefs that motivate you. Your identity shapes your story. And we talked a little bit about how false identities lead to frustration, disappointment, and disaster. And perhaps more importantly, we talked about how the Bible answers these huge questions that we all face, right? Who am I? And what is my purpose? The who and why of life, who we are and what we're supposed to do. And the Bible gives really good and dignified answers to those questions. In fact, basically on page one of the Bible, we get this beautiful picture of a good world that a good God created with a good purpose for us. Um, He created a good world that he intends for us to share. And so, I want to unpack a little bit more of that today. Like, what did God set people in the garden to do? And what is that about? And why is it good news? So, that's what we're going to look at. So, last week, I read quite a bit of Genesis chapter 1. I'm not going to read all that again, but I do want to read some of it. And uh, I'm going to read from Genesis 1, starting in verse 20. And the goal here is to kind of unpack what did God place human beings in the garden to do? What was the task he gave them? And what does that tell us about our purpose? All right, so listen for that. Verse 20, Genesis 1. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters of the seas. Let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every green plant, every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in it with seed and its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. All right, so what do we see here? Um, I think we see something really profound about god's intention for us as human beings remember last week we saw how God had created we talked about how God had created us in his image and what that means and that's tied to this this royal uh, idea like there were there were people in the ancient world and other cultures who are thought to be created in the image image of their gods, and that was the kings and and pharaohs and emperors of various pagan nations, right? In Egypt, the pharaohs were worshipped because they were the image bearers of God. In Babylon, only the king bore God's image. Why? Because the idea of the image God was something that was used to keep people in line and keep people submitting to the king, right? Because this person is a representative of God, Um. And so, that idea in the ancient world, at the time when the Bible was written, that idea of the image of God was something that people were familiar with and it referred to royalty. It was a royal image. And so, the Bible deliberately uses that that idea of the image of God uh, on its first page and says, oh, by the way, everybody, every human being is made in the image of God. In other words, your origin story is royal, is one of royalty. God created you with a tremendous amount of dignity. He made you in his own image. And what do images do, right? They reflect. That's primarily what we exist to do, is to reflect the goodness, the grace, the justice of God. And God bestows upon all people unmatched, unparalleled dignity as his image bearers and gave them a royal task. That's what we're going to talk about today. He's given us a royal identity, he's also given us a royal task. After declaring that he would make people in his image and breathing the breath of life into their nostrils, what does God told them to do? And what do these tasks have in common? What kind of picture of humanity is being painted here in the things that God set people in the garden to do. The creation of all people in God's image is significant because the term carries with it the concept of kingdom, of kingship, not just because the concept itself was culturally understood in relation to royalty, but because God himself speaks of the task he's given to us human beings in royal terms. Look at verse 26, immediately after declaring his plan to make people in his image, God says, they will rule the fish of the sea the livestock, the whole earth. Let them have dominion. He tells them to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it. So God bestows on all people unmatched, unparalleled dignity as his image bears and gives them a royal task. I said this last week, but it's true. There is no more pro-human book than the Bible and no more pro-life book than the Bible. No one has a more dignified view of mankind than God. No one has a higher view of human life than God, um, and what is the royal task of human beings? It's to exercise dominion. This doesn't mean to domineer. Don't think that. It doesn't mean to um, you know crush everything so that you get to use it for your own own benefit. Uh, he says to be fruitful and multiply to fill the earth and subdue it. What does that mean to subdue the earth? This along with the word dominion might sound to us like military terms, like God is trying or is telling us to conquer the earth and subdue it by with our guns and tanks and swords. But if we read on in Genesis 2, we know that isn't the case because what does God tell Adam and Eve to do in that chapter? The Lord took the man, in Genesis 2.15, the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to do what? To work it and to keep it. Adam and Eve would subdue the earth with gardening tools. With plowshares and pruning hooks, according to Isaiah two four, not swords. Isaiah two four promises us that one day God's going to beat our swords into plowshares. It's the idea of like taking guns and breaking them down into gardening tools, um, you know, uh, tanks into tractors. <laughs> would be a modern equivalent. Um, it's foreseeing a day when we would be restored back to the purpose for which we were created, to be gardeners in the, in this beautiful garden God created. And that doesn't mean that we have to be super into gardening. That's not the point. The point is that God set us in the garden to join Him in His work of tending His world, of taking care of it, of bringing order and beauty and benefit out of the good world that God created. Remember, that's what God did in the garden. Uh, that's what God did in the beginning. He created everything, and then He began to set it into order such that it would bring benefit out of it for us, for human beings, for, for our our benefit and our pleasure. And that's what we're to do. We're to take what God has given us and bring order and beauty and benefit out of it for the glory of God and for the good of the people around us. So. What was the point of Adam and Eve in the garden? The point was that they would be kings and dignitaries of God by being gardeners, by doing good, responsible, life-sustaining work in the garden. We talk a lot today about cultural warriors. Um, We are not called according – the first page of the Bible doesn't call us to be cultural warriors. It calls us to be culture gardeners. Uh, Do you see how radically different the story of the Bible is than – every other ancient worldview. According to most ancient religions, human beings are the result of violent power struggles. According to most ancient religions, we were, created out of, we were created by selfish desires of the gods for power and control. According to the Bible, we were not created to meet any need in God, or God has no needs, according to the Bible anyway, but the Bible says that God created us out of love. We were shaped by a loving God who breathed his very breath into us to give us life and formed us in his own image and gave us the beautiful and dignified task of joining him in the project of of ruling his world, working and keeping the garden as kings and queens of God's good world. So God invites us, he invited Adam and Eve to join him in the project of naming the animals and bringing order to his good world be made in God's image is to be shaped and fashioned for a relationship with Him. The fact that God tasked humanity with working and keeping and subduing implies that the world God gave mankind was not complete. That's a common misconception about the garden, is that it was this fully finished world. It was good, it was very good in fact, but it wasn't complete. Um, We think of the the garden as perfect. It's perfect, I guess, in the sense that it's it's free from, from sin, but it's not perfect in the sense that it's not complete. It's not finished. So, God in love entrusts us with the dignified task of taking the human project forward, of continuing this work that he started. So, in other words, the God of the Bible creates partners, not slaves. Kings and queens given the noble task of reflecting his glory, goodness, kindness, and justice. Not people who just have to do his bidding, right? Uh, But people he wants to share good, dignified work with. So, as we unpack Genesis 1 through 2, we see three things about what it means to be made in the image of God. It means God created us to do three things at least. First, rule. To rule and reign with him. Um, Secondly, to reflect. Colossians 1.15, this is what an image bearer is. It's a reflection. We reflect God's goodness, mercy, grace, and justice to a watching world. Jesus is referred to in Colossians 1.15 as the image of God. He is the one true image bearer, the one who finally got it right, what it looks like to truly bear God's image and reflect His goodness back into the world. Um, you want to see what it looks like to be a good human being? Like, look to Jesus. I think that's what Colossians one fifteen is saying. And then the third thing we see is that Bearing God's image means working. It means work. So, next week, I'm going to show you how Adam and Eve um, continued the very same work God began in creation of bringing order, beauty, and benefit out of the world. Out of of a world that is brimming with God-given potential. Um, But Jesus came to restore our position as kings and dignitaries who would rule and reign with him. This is from uh, 2 Timothy 2. Remember Jesus Christ, Second Timothy two eight. remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. The fact that God tasked Adam and Eve with subduing the earth and working and keeping the garden tells us that the world God created for Adam and Eve wasn't complete. And listen, this is really important. It's not that God wasn't capable of, com- of creating a complete world, but He chose to create an unfinished world. And He did this out of love, in an unparalleled act of life-giving and dignity-affirming kindness, God tasked Adam and Eve with working and keeping the good world that he had made for them. God kindly entrusted his people to bring about his good work and his good world to completion. I think I want to just stop right there. Because this is such a beautiful and dignifying and empowering idea, isn't it? And I want to be really clear. I'm not saying all this exalts human beings or to exalt you but I'm saying this because it demonstrates God's vast and unparalleled goodness. Well I think one of the things we see early on in the Bible, and I know not all of you will agree with me when I say this, but I think it's clear from at least God's design of the world it's that it's this: our God is good, and that's a beautiful thing, um, and it's a beautiful beginning that God paints here in the opening chapters of the Bible. While God created Adam and Eve to reflect his glory, goodness, kindness, and justice in ruling his kingdom and bringing his good world to completion, um, we know that they decided to do something else. They decided they would set out to build their own kingdom, and they brought into the lie that God was holding out on them. it wasn't really good, and that they could be like him by setting out on their own instead of honoring and representing God in the good world that he had given them. They would go and define good and evil on their own. So, we'll talk about that more next week. Why did they set out to do that? And how did they lose sight of their good, dignifying, God-given purpose? Um, And also, we'll unpack some of the implications of what it means to be God's image. So, we've talked about how this is good and dignifying and it gives us purpose, um, but what does it mean to work and and keep the garden? Um, What does that look like now in a world that is good yet broken? But I think right now, I just want to impress upon you um, something that I think we see here. Uh, a couple things, and and we'll close here. First, there's a lot of Christians that talk about how terrible human beings are, and listen, we are very capable of terrible things, and and do lots of terrible things. You don't have to look very far; just flip on the news or look at your news feed on Facebook or Twitter, or you know, you'll see people being awful, people being terrible, right? But I think it's important to acknowledge that. Um, That's not our design, right? And so, it's not exactly biblical to say human beings are just awful, terrible, and no good. Um, Because at the beginning of the Bible, what we see is a picture of humanity as one that's full of potential. There's so much potential in you. There's so much potential in your friends, in your children, in your family, in your your coworkers. Um, Do you see that in you? God's design for you is good and he sees so much potential in you. Don't buy into this lie that you're nothing but terrible and the people around you are nothing but terrible. Let's trust what God says about us. And God says we bear his image. That means we have so much potential uh, to do good work for him, for the world, to make this world a better place, a place that more reflects his goodness, justice, mercy, and grace. Um, We'll get more into that next week and some of those implications of of how we can live out our restored purpose. Even though we we so easily lose sight of it, how can we be restored? How can we regain some of that potential? Um, It's possible. Don't lose hope. Uh, Thanks for listening to Bible Thump this week. If nobody else tells you, I want you to know, because I believe it's true. Jesus loves you, nerd.